So that, yeah, that'll be great when we get real stereo sound. That'll be when it really gets interesting, because then you'll the sense of space uh, will be far greater. You know. Yeah. No, that'll come. That'll all come with time. All kinds. Sure. Of- yeah. I expect in a couple of years. Uh, it's going to be so far beyond what we can even think of now as being our dream system. I would expect in five years it'll outstrip whatever you and I are thinking is possible now. Oh, that's so. That's such a great. That's so exciting to think about. <laughs> yeah, really. I had that experience when I was a, a music student in college. I was into electronic music, and we had one of the very first synthesizers, the ARP 2600. It looks sort of like, a, you know, an, the old operator's board with all the plug-in wires. You know, it was really primitive, but it was cool, and I was really into it, but I, I finally just thought this thing is so limited that there's just no way it could do what I want it to do. And I, and I was sort of imagining what the ideal system was going to be like, because I, re- I realized that this system as it was, I couldn't use it. And so I was thinking, geez, well, it'd have to be this or that. or that. And, I, and I figured, well, shit, that'll never happen. You know? Well, it wasn't, but about five years had gone past so the technology was beyond whatever it was I was dreaming about when I quit. Wow. (laughs) I mean, the stuff that I was thinking, oh, man, if only it could do this, if only it could do that. Well, it just went so far past what I was thinking. You know, it was, it's just, uh, so that was a real lesson in humility, (laughs) you know, and you think, you know, you know how, how cool it could be and then have even your wild ravings outstripped by reality. Yeah. Well, I remember when I went into the the first time I had a voice conversation on the internet was in Yahoo Chat, and um, I remember then it was so frustrating. I mean, the lag and you know con- you couldn't control mics. It was incredibly frustrating. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, and I knew I was thinking in myself then that wow, this is this can only get better. I remember actually, yeah. and I remember one yeah. having one great conversation randomly. It just worked out under those circumstances that we were able to pull it off. And then that's when I, when the first day I saw Skype, I actually, when I used the Skype interface, I thought, God, you know, they, I saw the possibility of Skype guests. Yeah. When they actually yeah. had Skype guests, I knew right then, you know, wow, this is what I was waiting for. I was actually yeah. waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I uh, yeah, Skype was the I got on Skype relatively early. Uh, I mean, you know, long before Skypecast was there. Yeah, uh, me too. And um, I remember at the time. I mean, I tried other things like you did, you know, and they were all useless as far as I could see. You know, they were just frustrating to use. They just simply didn't work good enough. But I remember the very first time a friend of mine called me, told me to download Skype, and I did. And I called him, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was just awesome. You know, it really yeah. worked. And you right then that that was the end of the telephone. <laughs> you know, it was <laughs> like, why the hell would anybody have a telephone? You know? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, Skype just blew me away. It was the first one that really worked well. You know, it was awesome. No time yeah. delay or, I mean, uh, I mean, essentially, you know, meaningless time delay. Oh yeah, I had all I had all kinds of experiences like that growing up. I remember the first time I saw somebody showed me this was way back, maybe in '93 or '94. Somebody showed me the Encarta Encyclopedia, uh-huh. very primitive version of Encarta. How old How old were you then? 
Oh, I was young. I remember the guy, and I remember going over his house, and I had to have been at least eight. I had to have been eight or nine, but no more than ten. Yeah, okay. I was young, but I, I yeah. for some reason I got it then because actually my mom, yeah. I loved encyclopedias, and my mom, when I was six years old, she bought me an entire set of Encarta encyclopedias. I'm not Encarta. Um, what the hell are those encyclopedias? I mean, you know, a book. Book, yeah, the book. Yeah, the book. Yeah, the whole goddamn yeah, book. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so what, I, Britannica, Americana, or yeah, there's a whole Collier. There's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, all out of all out of business gosh, now. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're breaking up a little bit. Say that last part again. She spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I mean, oh, I know. Yeah, thousand yeah. dollars buying these things, but yeah. it was worth it. For oh, us, cool. Yeah. I mean, that's all I did. That was my life. I would come home and I would take one, you know, letter and just go through it page by page, you know, ooh, um, you know, or I'd, you know, look up something like, um, you know, wood and you know, <laughs> just yeah. blow me away. I yeah. learned yeah. so many things about wood. And then the first time somebody showed me in Carta, it was like a yeah. few years after gotten those encyclopedias and I knew right then I was just yeah. I was yeah. blown yeah. away. I was yeah. blown yeah. away. I got I, that's when I said I gotta get a computer that can yeah. this thing. Yeah. 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 And I did. I did. Like maybe a few weeks later, um we got a computer and we got in Carta and I just sat all day. <laughs> you know, I came home from school and I yeah. literally just through article after yeah. article. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the idea that you could search for things, and it just yeah. Oh, I know it. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, and now we've got the Wikipedia, which is oh, oh, yeah. I mean, if something happens ten minutes later, there's an article on the Wikipedia about it. Yeah, I could have never dreamed of Wikipedia. Yeah. Ten years ago, no way. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't think anybody... I'm only 23, so I can only imagine how many of those experiences yeah. like that you've well, had. You've, in your... so you've been aware of computers. Well, how old were you when you got your first computer? Your family got your first computer? Oh, we had a we had a Tandy. Well, I had I got a Nintendo when I was three. I I was able to okay. talk, but I was able oh, okay. to talk for six months. So, you know, I I evolved pretty quickly in terms of you know being able to function on my own. So you were doing and video games from the from the beginning? From two years old. I got my first video. So as far back as you can remember then you had video uh, games. These were what, handhelds mostly or Yeah, I, Nintendo. The original yeah. Nintendos came out when I was in nineteen eighty six and you know, I was two years old in nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. So that's my uncle got me a Nintendo. And I loved that thing. My dad, I really didn't have a clue how to play the games until I was about four or five. But <laughs> I it was thought just it was fun so pushing the button, car drive on yeah. the screen. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and then I was oh yeah, I was beating video games by five or six. But then when I when I discovered things like Encarta, I didn't give a shit about that stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, then how old were you when you discovered the web? Actually, you remember that? It sort of stuck yeah. up on me, actually. Oh, I do. I remember the exact moment. Well, I really? knew about AOL, like, vaguely. I'd heard about AOL, because AOL has been around a long time. Um, but it was, I went over to some guy's house, and he showed me Yahoo. Yahoo had just, you know, been coming up, maybe a few months before that moment, Yahoo. Uh-huh. 
uh, inaugurated its existence. And I remember going over to this guy's house and him showing me Yahoo, and I was just blown away. And the next day, I remember this clear as day, the next day I went to the public library and sat there till it closed using their Internet. But they yeah. had limits. Like, you, you could only use it for an hour, and so I'd get up, and then I was really <laughs> get yeah. back in line. Then, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd cut, you know, and I'd, like, you know, stand over people when their hour was up. And, <laughs> you know, I was just... Yeah. And I yeah. built a website, and I... And actually, yeah, I, I mean... Well, my Yahoo, my Yahoo Mail account, which was not the first email account, I'm, I'll be having my 11-year anniversary a month from now. <laughs> so... You know, I was there. I mean, I was, yeah, I was, it just blew me away. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine what it must be like to be that age because I did, you know, I got my first computer. I mean, I was, I don't even remember now. It was 84, so that would have made me like 38 years old or something when I got my first computer. Your own first computer. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'd never, I'd had one programming course in basic and that was it. Uh, and I, I don't know, somebody I, turns out somebody gave me a Macintosh when they first came out, and uh, and that was the beginning of a new life. And I, you know, I had email way back when there was no spam, <laughs> you know, and, and there was nobody <laughs> using. And there was a thing called Gopher, which was a uh, this. Uh, it's hard to explain it. You know, you know about Usenet. Are you familiar with Usenet yeah. at all? Of course, huh? yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, Usenet was back then too, but it was only for texting, basically. And there, and then there was this thing called Gopher, which looked a lot like Usenet, but it was, it was like before there were websites, there were Gopher sites, but it was all text-based and uh, really weird to navigate. I, you know, the whole thing was just bizarre, but it was fun to sort of play around on it, even though I never knew what the hell I was doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but eventually, you know, uh, like I say, the web sort of snuck up on me. It didn't it didn't come in one day, you know. It was like, I don't know, it just seems like to blend all together somehow when I look back. But uh, it's really changed in the past, say, five, five years or so, I mean. You mean it's, oh, so you don't remember like the first moment somebody showed you Netscape Navigator? No, because like I say, it was a more gradual transition for me because I'd been like I say in since 1984. I in I don't remember. I got I got an email in like probably 85, and and this Gopher system allowed you to look at email in 85. Huh? They had email back then. Uh, yeah. But it was only wow. it was basically through the universities. Everything was based in the universities at the time. The the internet started, you know, as the, the defense department, you know, DARPA stuff was a connection between all of the the university nuclear research centers, you know, and defense department stuff and other government agency research centers at universities. And and so email I my first email account was through um, Cal State Long Beach. Uh, you know, I mean, any, I wasn't a student or anything there, but I just wrote a letter, actually a physical letter to the person in charge and told him I was studying language independently and I'd really love to have an email account there. And so they gave me one, you know, oh, that, was, that was so cool. Yeah, it was real cool. 
but I didn't know anybody else that had email. Well, the only guy, the guy that imagine, had email was the guy. Who, that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was, you know. I wonder what they do with that letter if you wrote them the same letter today. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It's a fun uh, experiment. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. I didn't even realize email went back that far. I mean, I don't really know the history of email. Yeah. Well, I, I, I may be wrong. It may have been 86 or 87. I, I mean, I, I oh, honestly, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, I could probably figure it out, but uh, it, it goes way back. And like I say, um, Usenet goes back to there, and, and Gophers and Weiss, why I don't remember the names of these things, but, but uh, there were a number of, Way, but it was all text-based, though. I mean, everything was uh, ASCII. That was all there was to it. There were no alternatives. So you, you, so you probably know, like, you know, um, Unix code and... Oh, I don't know anything about Unix, no, no. Oh, okay. No, because I was using the Macintosh, and so Macintosh was all just easy to use, so the computer was never an issue, you know? I never really dealt with the computer. I just did stuff. <laughs> you know? So you, ne- you never had to know basic or you never had to deal with DOS or anything like no, that? No, no, none of that. Interesting. So when Mac sort of um, took, took took a real uh, downfall, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's a downfall, but they just almost were non-existent. Like in yeah, the, it looked like 90s. they were on their way out for a while. Yeah. But you were you were always a Mac user. I mean, you never always. Any yeah, no, no, and, and I would have if it had died. I would have switched over to Windows, you know. But I was dreading the possibility, you know. Amazing! Wow. So you're a you're a real sort of you know lifetime Mac user. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a first. I had a Mac actually uh, two months before they were released to the public. They were released in January of '84. I got my Mac in October of '83. <laughs> oh wow! So I mean, again, I didn't even know what it was. No, I mean, it's a, it was a weird set of circumstances that it stuck it in my lap. But um, yeah, it, it was like it got loaned to me. A guy had a couple extras, <laughs> and I met him in a restaurant. And honestly, you know, it's funny how I look back at some of these coincidences that changed my life. How bizarre, you know, actually I hadn't thought about this one really. None of that story about how I got that Watts book placed in my, you know, possession. This story is almost the same way. I met a guy, I used to go, uh, instead of Starbucks back then, I went to Mimi's Cafe, which was a really nice uh, place to have breakfast and drink coffee. And uh, and I used to go there every morning and read the paper and have breakfast and drink coffee and you know and talk to people at the counter because people who sit at the counter are more likely to be chatty and I was using that as a place to sort of study people's language machines and I started talking to this guy who was a salesman and we started talking and he was telling me he had this new thing uh, that's a long story but it was a a, a kiosk thing with a, 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 the original Mac was inside it. Okay, it was a, a com- called the Computer Poet, and people could come in and, uh, you know, say it's a birthday thing, and this and they'd fill in the guy's name and some stuff, and then this 
program would write out this poem uh, and print it on a on a birthday card, and, <laughs> and, and then it was printed on this dot matrix printer, and it popped out a slot. But no one ever saw what was inside. All you could see was the keyboard and the slot where the where the poem came out. Well, what was inside was a Macintosh, the original Macintosh. And this guy had three of these things. He was selling to, uh, you know, he was an agent, a rep for this company that made these things. And he had all these extra Macintosh computers that he didn't have any need for. And I just met him, like, we started talking, and he said, listen, I got one out, you know, in my trunk. You want to keep it until I need it back? <laughs> I didn't even know what the hell it was, you know. And I said, sure, why not, you know. <laughs> so we went out to his trunk, and he got out the Macintosh, and it didn't even have the external. The original Mac had an external disk drive with it. it had two 400K floppy disks, a 400K floppy. This didn't even have the external drive, so all I had was a single disk that held a 400K floppy on which was the system and the application on <laughs> 400K, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's hard to imagine that these days. And th- that, from that moment on, the moment I, and I had no, instru- I didn't know anything about it, but I turned it on, stuck the disk in, and there were two programs. That was all. There was MacWrite and MacPaint. That was it. A word processor and a graphics program. And I was so blown away by those things, and I could figure them out myself. I didn't need any, you know, I just played with it and figured it out. It actually and, worked. And it worked, yeah. In fact, you could hold, like, it would hold seven pages of text before the disk was full. So I, I could hold seven actual types, typed pages. And, uh, yeah. And, and I had two disks, too, because one disk had the system and Mac Paint, and the other disk had, actually, there were three disks. Uh, had the system and uh, Mac Write, and the other one had the system and this program called Mac, Mac Poet, which was the program that they were selling, you know, to the to the stationery stores. But it was a total failure because the the image writer printer uh, that came with it just jammed all the time, and it was just unworkable. <laughs> and you know, the poem—I mean, the poetry was crappy anyway. It was a, sort of a silly idea, but a sort of a novelty. But it, the main reason it failed was because the printers were so faulty that uh, the people in the store kept having to go unjam the printers, and they just would jam again, and everybody got pissed about the whole thing, and that was the end of it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's interesting, you know, how I mean, people, the, people write the software and think about all that and get people to make the kiosks and put the whole system together. But they put a printer in there that doesn't work. <laughs> and it killed the whole project. I, I remember my stepfather bought it because he was an author. And he, so he really wanted a printer. A good printer, and he bought one of the. I think he bought like the first. We had a Mac. I think it was a classic Mac. It was black and white. It was this real. Print. Yeah. And you could basically only word process on it. <clears throat> and it had like ten fonts, which was I thought was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And he had a. 
he had bought this laser printer. I think it was one of the first. He spent a few thousand dollars on it. It was yeah. I had the first one too. It's three hundred DPI, and it costs almost four thousand dollars. Yeah, he bought he bought one. That must have been it. I mean, it was yeah. And it just was incredible. I mean, yeah, it actually yeah. would just shoot these pieces of paper out so slick. And yeah, yeah. And 300 DPI at the time seemed, well, I mean, compared to dot matrix printers, 300 DPI was another world. And then when it went up to 600, well, that, that changed the whole game. 300 DPI now looks like shit. I mean, you know, it looks like an old primitive laser printer, you know. But yeah. when you see stuff printed at six or twelve hundred, I mean, it's typeset quality. It's you know, it's better than the eye can resolve. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember I, when I was in elementary school, we had a tech ed program, and they had these really primitive computers where all you could run was CAD key. They were dedicated because you know we we're I don't know becoming little architects or whatever. And they had this printer that that had these little markers, and there were like six markers. And it would grab one marker and then draw, you know, this circle and then put it back and then grab another marker. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. But it knew just where to put the marker down on the piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. And it's come, you know, when you look at the beginning again, when I look at the first Macintosh and think, how really dysfunctional it was. It didn't do anything that anybody could make, you know. It was okay for writing. Well, actually, it was a good word processor, you know. Uh, you know, but any computer could have done that and did do that, so that's no big deal. But the system was it. Was it. it was, again, like I say, I got it given to me with no manual or anything, and within, um, you know, a half an hour, I had the thing up and running and able to, I could figure out the word processor and I could draw pictures with the, with Meg Paint, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's just so cool. It was, yeah, it was all, all that's amazing. That and from that moment on, watched, and I had that yeah. computer for more than a year before he actually wanted it back. He finally, uh, you know, asked me to give it back to him. I was really heartbroken because then I had to go out and buy my own. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and they were really expensive. But uh, and you were sold. <laughs> oh, I was hooked at that point. I mean, there was no way to go back. You know. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was hopeless. This is like once you get broadband. You know, the, the idea of dial-up is untenable. Your audio, ill consideration. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah, you can't go back. I mean, yeah. I remember dial up. I remember my friend had a fifty-six. We had a, we had a fifty-six hundred modem. That's like five point six k. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, I, I think I had, had a friend who had a twenty-eight. I had a twelve k. Uh, twelve bar. I mean, yeah, you know, twelve. A long time ago. I remember it took me. Uh, there was a. A local pirate software board, and it were limited to 45 minutes uh, download time. And I could, in 45 minutes, I could download almost 500k. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, 500k was a huge amount of uh, data in those days. I mean, entire programs, multiple pro. I mean, 500k. Jesus, that, yeah. 
Yeah. But that was a different universe and far away and long ago. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The, um, what was I going to say? 500K. Oh, yeah. we I, I remember on our 5600 modem, if you wanted to load up like a web page, you used to have to like open one and then walk away and come back like three or four minutes later. Yeah. For the whole page to load. You know, you couldn't just click yeah. around. You had to be really. Yeah. You know, choosy. Well, but back in those days, on. too, of course, people who designed their websites, uh, they, they weren't so graphics-heavy in those days either. You know, I mean, if they were smart, they designed their their pages to be opened because they knew most people had modems, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But even yeah. then, like, you know, nothing was instant. I mean. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Now I get, well, the I get bursts of 15 megabits on my cable modem. It's usually at 10, but it, it bursts up to 15 or 16 once in a while. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just, I mean, amazing. When you think it took me 45 minutes to download 500K, I do that much in a second now. <laughs> you know? I mean, well, now you're, usually, now you're usually just bogged down by the, by the server that you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. It has nothing to do with the cable. It's the server and the traffic on the, on the site and, and what its bandwidth is. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that stuff is so cool to think about. And I would imagine, again, over the next few years, that that's all going to, you know, they're going to find solutions that really, you know, so you can really watch full-frame, high-definition video in real time without any problem. Oh, wow. Yeah. So basically, you can get anything instantly. <laughs> Just that simple, you know. I remember um, at the library, there were these two kids that were in there, and they used to use the Internet, and there was this, like, really primitive chat room website called chatbox.com. And you logged in, and you didn't have a username or anything. You just it asked you what your name was, and then you just started chatting, and it would randomly yeah. put you into a room. There were like eight or nine of them. You couldn't even choose the room you go into. <laughs> and then, and I was observing these guys chatting, and then I said, "Ooh, you know that looks so interesting." And I didn't I didn't mention myself or anything. But then I went to another part of the library where they couldn't see me. They had like two different areas where they had internet. And I logged in, and I was able to get into the same room they were. And I remember, like, having a whole conversation with them and then, you know, admitting to them that I was that kid that was in the library. You know, <laughs> they're like, where are you, you know? And I just, you know, that just stuff just blew yeah. me away, how, how <laughs> easy it was. And I was, I sort of knew in the back of my head, like, oh, it's so much easier to have this anonymous conversation with them if I had uh, walked uh. up to them. Oh you no, know, you wouldn't. You know, you'd be too worried about how they think about us or what we think about them or all that bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just—I I mean, I knew then that um, you know it was like then I knew, and then when I went into Skypecast, it was another huge revelation. Yeah. Of what really can be done here. Yeah, and, Skypecast um, really blew me away instantly. The moment I saw Skypecast, that was that was the beginning of a new phase of my life, actually. And I knew it instantly, too, just like you're saying. I, the moment I saw Skypecast, I realized this is what I've been waiting for <laughs> all my life. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, stuff is so cool. But the, the, the diff, to, to analyze the different steps 
that occurred, you know, to get to that point. And now we're, we're, you know, in a way a step beyond that. Yeah. And who knows what's left, uh, you know, what steps are still ahead of us, you know, I mean, Oh, there's guaranteed it's going to be interesting. <laughs> you know, see where this goes. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if there's like some catastrophic, you know, destruction in the world. How all there already is. I mean, we're living in the middle of it. It's been catastrophic in all sorts of places. You know, uh, the internet it, doesn't it, seem to feel any sort of pinch, though. It's still just strumming along. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, if it, I think people are. I think it's it's that's really got to be the ultimate system that we need to preserve. Is communicate, you know, is, I mean, if all else fails, well, I mean, you need food and clothing and housing and that kind of water and all that. But I mean, next to that, uh, I I would think that the internet is our most important uh, necessity, you know? Yeah. I see it like, uh, you know, like the railroad, like the way America saw the railroads uh, or the mail, you know, in, in the late 1800s or the early 1800s, actually. They they knew it was important. They had this whole continent to unite, and they understood that railroads would unite all of that by communications, you know, and mail, the Pony Express. All that was funded by the government because they saw the value in you know, connecting everybody up. And that's what we're about now for the planet, you know. is that If we're going to have a planet, it's, we're going to need to have it all connected up so that, you know, people, you know, feel this camaraderie of being together here. People uh, seem, even like sort of language monkeys, seem to be becoming a little bit more aware of the fact that there's a good chance the world as we know it is, you know, going to change. Yeah. They don't like to talk about it. But, no, I think you're right. That's why we're here talking about it is they need to get more familiar uh, thinking about these things and not, you know, again, this is, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think a lot of people are beginning to wake up to all this stuff, but it's very uncomfortable and a lot of it's unconscious still. But, again, that's why I'm here, is that there are individuals who are becoming conscious of this. And, you know, we need them. <laughs> you know, we need more people to wake up to this stuff. Yeah. Trademark just called in. So Trademark uh, has taken the trouble to call in, and he's asking for the mic. Trademark, uh, I I've had might... enough anyway. No, that's all right. I'm still going to play by the same rules. I'm trademarked. I, I apologize, but actually I'm really a sort of arrogant asshole. And I am going to turn your mic off, though, Jason, because you said you're through, so you are through. But anyway, trademark, the way it works, at least the way it used to work, and the way it's going to work for a while is that you need to write me a little text thing. Of, you know, it doesn't need to be long, but you need to tell me what it is you actually want to talk about. Uh, I, I, you see, I'm a refugee from Skypecast, and um, over there, it's different here, but over there, about 95% of the people that came into the room were idiots, and so I started having to make people write me just so I knew they weren't complete morons, 
you know, to see if they could actually put together a sentence coherently with an idea. So, trademark, why do you want to talk? Are you familiar with the subject we're talking about here? Do you know what the subject is? Did you read the, uh, the description of this room? I'm still on Skype, you know. I still, uh, yeah, I use Skype all the time for one-on-one. So anyway, ah, well, I would highly recommend that you read what this room is about. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure how you get there. Oh, yeah, over it says call info. You just, uh, just click on uh, the call info, and it'll bring up the page with uh, the description, and it says, Right next to the logo, it says Description Eliminating Linguistic Obstacles, and then you can click on More, and it expands, and there are about you know, 20, no, 15, 16, 17 lines of text that explain in detail what this is about. And that's really what I'm here to talk about. Now, Jason and I were going off on tangents. Who the hell knows what we were yammering about? I don't know. Oh, you know about NLP. Well, that's enough to get your mic unmuted. Anyone that says NLP in a sentence and assumes that anybody knows what the hell they're talking about <laughs> Thank gets you. the microphone here. You're taking I'm sorry. a big chance. This is trademark, but you are taking a chance. I might just have accidentally known that NLP. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, but I'll, I figure I'm feeling generous today, so what the hell. You know, besides, I can always mute. Well, you turn out to be a complete idiot. I'll just turn your mic off and you could ju- make, fun, you could make just fun of you. Put me out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, out. no problem. I I feel a kinship because, as you just said on air, I also am a refugee from Skype. I'm terribly, uh, you know, lost at sea with no big discussions to go to. You know. Oh, but they're here. This is the place. Talk show is where it's at, and I'm glad Skypecast is dead. It was so frustrating. I was so I mean it was the best game in town I thought until I discovered this. And I see you managed to get in here, so you, your sound is good. How are you getting in here with Skype out? Um actually I'm not even having to use Skype unless it's running in the background without my knowledge. I simply Are you using the sh- shoe phone? Yeah. Yeah. You really? Oh no, you're see this is amazing. Your sound is really good. Usually the shoe phone thing sounds just terrible, but you sound pretty good. I'm I'm surprised. Anyway, that's good. Good to hear. Now, wait a minute. I just need to, a bit of clarification on this. When you're talking about the shoe phone, are, you're talking about a concept, not an actual object. Well, yeah, right? no, not no, not a shoe phone. No, it's a. Are you using the uh, Are you using the web I'm using interface, them, I'm or did using you download? Yes. Did you download using, the TalkShoe Live Pro application? That's what I did. Yes. Okay, and in the lower right-hand corner of that page, there's a little black... Well, of course, you're probably on a Windows machine, am I correct? Yes, yes, okay, I am. Okay, I'm on, I'm on yeah. a Mac. I'm on a Mac, though, oh. so I, I, I don't know if the clients are the same, you know, what the client right. looks like. But on mine, I see uh, down in the lower right-hand corner a little icon in the word shoe phone and says connect. Uh, and, and that's a way to connect the audio, you know, to be able to talk without needing a voice over internet connection or anything. It does it all through the web. Yes, and so the that's question what is, I am is that... using. That's what I'm using, yeah. Okay, yeah, all right. So you're yeah, you're using the built in shoe phone thing and it sounds mm-hmm. pretty good for you. Usually it sounds a lot worse. And you really? I, I, yeah, yeah. And actually you're starting to break up now. 
<laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. You better mute me. <laughs> no, no, it's not that bad, really. It's still pretty good. But I would suggest that uh, you're in the U.S. Is that true? No, I'm in Canada. You're in Canada. Oh, that's just as good. Uh, Skype out works for Canada and the U.S. For three dollars a month, you can get what's called Skype out, and that'll allow you, uh, you know, ten thousand minutes a month or whatever it is, uh, for all practical purposes, more or less unlimited phone calls to uh, things like this. And so, with and the sound quality is really good. Yes, I've been using Skype out for and Skype in for about roughly four years. Oh, okay, good. Then you've already got it. And so the thing is to use uh, Skype out to get in here. Mm-hmm. Although I'm just I'm just using the uh, you know the the web client here for talk yeah. to them, okay. you know. that's right. Well, it's this good. is working okay right now, but uh, often uh, the talk show really has terrible audio, and uh, oh. Skype is fairly uh, consistent and good using a Skype out. So I would recommend that you do that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, let's let's not talk about the technical stuff. Um, you read what the Skypecast is about, uh, and you mentioned NLP. So what's on your mind? Well, that's, I wanted to know what exactly you're discussing about this. Uh, you know, your com- method of communication, and you know, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that it's an offshoot of the neuro linguistic programming languages that that I'm familiar with. No, no, it's not an offshoot. I'm aware of NLP, but I, I don't, I don't consider my work to be, you know, related much to that. Although I think the the sources of NLP are similar. You know, the the stuff that influenced Bandler and Grinder originally are some of the same sources that influenced me. So there's some overlap between my work and NLP, but mm-hmm. but um, it's really like coincidental overlap rather than a a lineage kind of thing. We're cousins, <laughs> you could say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just interested to hear your your show, you know, and to learn to learn. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, first of all, it's not a show. This ain't talk radio, and I'm not here to entertain you. In fact, um, actually, I'm here for my own entertainment. And uh, <laughs> what I'm entertained by is a conversation with someone who's actually interested in the subject. So really what I do is have conversations with one person at a time. That's why I turned off Jason's mic and turned yours on, because now you and I are talking. And Jason. Pardon me? I'm saying poor Jason. No, not poor Jason. That's the way it works. When I'm talking to Jason, he has 100% of my attention. And when I'm talking to you, you have 100% of my attention. And we can talk about whatever it is we want to talk about, hopefully something to do with the title of this room, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's really sort of driven by your own interests. I mean, you must have, since you know about NLP, you must have some interest in language and human behavior, I guess, right? Well, yes, I do, but I came on here to hear what you had to say about it. Actually, I don't mind being muted and, you know. Well, I I know, but the thing is, I'm not here to lecture. I'm here to have a discussion. So I'd be interested in what you're, what it is, have you been reading stuff or or thinking about stuff or why are you interested in in language or linguistics or, or what are you interested in? Well, I've always been interested in 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 language. Um, just, I mean, in in its uh, most primitive form. I mean, I, I've enjoyed in my younger years learning other languages. 
I seem to have uh, an affinity for that. How many languages do you speak? Oh, no, <laughs> don't ask me that now. I'm too old, right? <laughs> no. Well, how many languages did you in, speak? <laughs> in my time, yeah, in my time, I studied and was proficient in Latin, French, German. Oh, Just good. Those are the main three, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. And um, if you don't use them, as you well know, oh, you I lose know they're them. gone. Yeah, but you can get them yeah. back though, too. That's the other thing. You can. If you, yes. if you, you needed can. to, you if you moved to Germany tomorrow in a month. <laughs> you'd be speaking German. Oh, yeah, you could, you could get by. That's true. That is true. Yeah. yeah. Well, I envy you. I've studied a number, but I don't speak any. And, um, no, I don't need to for my work. So, you know, and I, it's, and I don't have, I mean, maybe you're one of those lucky ones who has the ability. How, how old were you when you learned your second language? Oh, teenage. Okay. So well, teenage. Well, how old, though? Mm. I mean, is it? Uh, 13 or 18 or what? Uh, actually, we were taught Latin uh, at the age of 11 and 12. Okay, so I yeah. I'm from the UK. Originally, I'm from Scotland, right? So huh? the education starts uh, a lot earlier. Yeah. Okay. Because I took Latin in high school. I took it for. Right. I went to an all boys Catholic high school, and so oh. we learned Latin yeah, for four years. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That was a good. That was a good thing to struggle with. Well, Latin, yeah, Latin gives you a much better understanding of English. Didn't you find that after you started studying it? Well, um, well, yeah, in some ways. But what I found most interesting was uh, the way it divides. You know, the whole suffix system and the way it. You know, parts of speech are assigned by suffixes, and that, and that word order was irrelevant. You could put words anywhere. Uh, and it didn't change the meaning of a sentence, you know. Uh, that w- that really stuck with me. That was, uh, I thought that was really interesting, you know, how different it, it was in English, you know. That is quite different from most other languages, actually, yes, you're right. Well, there are a lot of, no, there are languages, that's a common way many languages are like that. Word order doesn't, uh, isn't the most important thing in many languages. It's not, it's just, that's one of the different, I mean, when they classify languages, when linguists, that's one of the primary distinctions between two classes of languages, languages that depend heavily on word order and languages that can ignore word order. And there are lots of examples of both. Yeah, well, I get. I, no, I don't know. I've never studied Spanish, which I've been told I should have studied that, but um, I've never studied that, and perhaps that's one of the other ones. I know, I for example, know. Ger- yeah. you know, like German is one of the ones that's a good example of it's definitely dependent on time, place, and motion. Oh, that's sure, yeah. Sentence, you yeah. Know? Well, English came from German. I mean, German is one of the fundamental sources of English, so there's a, a strong uh, genetic relationship between English and German. Well, yes, but also very heavily uh, English is also from Latin and and Greek, too. You know that, of course, right? Well, yeah, a lot of the vocabulary came from there, but not the structure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yet in English, we we don't structure the sentences. We do the opposite from German. We say, I went to school today. They say, today to school, I went. Yeah. You know, time yeah, but you have motion. to say it. Yeah, but again, it's important in German that you say it in that order, though. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But I, for example, I was asking of you or anyone else who's listening. I don't know Spanish at all, 
And is is that how it is in Spanish? Is it time, place, and motion in the sentence? Oh, I have no, no idea. I don't know. Um, okay, I just wondered. Yeah, yeah. The details of those things don't interest me too much. It, it you know, I mean, it's, each language is unique in many ways, and you know, shares some of these structures with. You know, it's it's real interesting. And I'm certainly no expert on a lot of stuff. My studies are fairly narrow, you know, in some ways. What exactly is it that you um, are most interested in? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, Well, I guess, you know, in some ways it's really exactly what I... Said uh, in the title of this Skypecast, mm-hmm. um, eliminating linguistic obstacles to waking up from the age-old hallucination humans called reality. <laughs> it says you've been hypnotized, hijacked by your own language machine. You believe that the voice in your head is who or what you really are, your deep self. And what I'm suggesting is that we literally, for tens of thousands of years, us human language monkeys, have been living in a kind of, sort of entranced by our own language machines. You know how a hypnotist is, you know, can by merely talking to people, can take them over, in a sense, you know, hypnotize them and, and take control of them. Well, no, that's th- an interesting. That's interesting that you say that because you know something. A hypnotist who's very skillful in their craft can use any language unknown to the person who has volunteered to be hypnotized, and it's their tone of voice that can entrance. It's a very interesting phenomenon and worthy of study. I mean, it's fascinating. But but what I'm suggesting is that that the vast majority of humans live in exactly that state of mind all the time or at least 98% of the time, that they are entranced not by a hypnotist, but by their own voice, the voice inside their own head, their language machine, that most people actually, and probably you are, most of the time, you think that voice inside your head is who you are. You think you're saying it. I mean, we say stuff like, I said this, and then he said that, and then I said, and then he said. But actually, it's not me, it's not I, it's talking right now. This is the product of my language machine. There's no time for me to organize these words and decide which words I'm going to use and, and arrange to have them in the right order with the right verb tenses and all agreement. And you know, I, That's way too complex for me to do consciously. Mm-hmm. So it's being done by my language machine according to the way it's been programmed. But most people no. actually... Well, go ahead. I was going to ask you... Yes, because I do find this acutely interesting, especially because I did read your little bio there. Your your new language is pronounced uh, Earthling, which yeah. tickles my funny bone. I was also thinking about uh, American Sign Language, just for one thing, like people who are deaf. Yeah. Uh, you know, how how does this all impact them, or, or oh, yeah. even does it, you know? Well, that's does one of the languages also? I've studied, actually. American Sign Language is one of the mm-hmm. things I, I studied, not for long, again, just for a few months. Uh, yeah. But uh, I came away convinced that it's probably a better uh, language than any spoken language for many reasons. It simply carries more information. I mean, when we're talking right now, all of the information that is being carried by my voice is literally one-dimensional. It is, you know, a compression wave in a fluid medium. It, 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 
You know, it's very simple. It carries one dimension of information. Uh, and that's pretty good, actually. But when you start talking about what the hands can do in three dimensions, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, I guess, yeah. you know, I mean, the possibility, in fact, what's one of the things that really got my attention, although I can't remember now the joke, but jokes in sign language uh, are untranslatable in some senses into spoken language because the complexity of them and the p- kinds of of changes in perspective that are possible by moving your hands and arms and stuff through space are so much more varied than what you can do in language that it was fascinating to me. And I remember, uh, it's funny, I can't remember the joke, but somebody explained the joke in sign language to me and it took quite a while and I finally got it. And I was just blown away by how how subtle that was and how how different it is than in the way jokes work in language, you know, in spoken language, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a whole different universe. Yeah. And what about the effects of what we're reading? You know, we're reading a book and we create the author's voice. You know, we create a voice in our head that, mm-hmm. would, that would be the author, right, that we're reading. How, yeah. What do you think of all of that? How does that all fit into what you're thinking? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a good question. Um, well, when you say we create, see, right away, I, I, I would call that into question. Because this whole concept of an I is something that I'm finding more and more questionable the further I go into this. The, the, this I that we talk about that's doing stuff, you know. Um, I, I forget. Pardon? It is our brain that's doing. It is our brain that's doing it. Well, but it, but who is this again? When you even the concept of my brain, as though there's, you know, I mean, there's my car, and I'm not well, my car, and there's my book and my table and my brain. It still implies that there's this thing that that is having the brain. That's the owner of the brain, separate from the brain. All right, I'm not sure I'm following you exactly, but I think you're trying no. to say that maybe we're all of the one consciousness. Well, I'm saying, yeah, that's that's the leap. Yeah, that's where I would jump to if I was inclined to make the leap. <laughs> but yeah. I'm just calling into question our our sort of standard sense of self, I think, is a kind of hallucination. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, a useful way of thinking about it. I'm saying it's not necessarily wrong. I'm just suggesting that the normal concept we have of who we are, what it means to be an I and all that is really just a, a bunch of words that we use in very particular ways and there's really not much behind that. <laughs> so you, you cut out there. Um, cut out mm. for a moment. So I missed part of what you just said. Oh, that's okay. I, <laughs> You'll hear it you again. Can t- you can tell. <laughs> yeah. So go on. Anyway, I, I, I don't know what else to say about that. Well, I was, I was thinking about, you know, going from the voice inside, you know, the brain that I'm using, you know, if, if I'm reading a book at any particular time. Yeah, yeah. So the, the brain that I'm using is creating what I imagine to be an author's voice, and that depends yeah. on the name that the author has, you, you know, used. It could be a man's name, but a woman has actually written it. And I mean, you yeah. know what I mean? It's on and on intricately. Also, what about a dog? 
a dog is part of a family group, you know, yeah. uh, known as a pack, right? They make, and uh, sorry, let me talk about wolves instead of domesticated dogs, right? Okay. Wolves are a pure form of the animal I'm trying to talk about. They um, they have, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, behaviors that they obviously they can't speak, but they use body language to communicate what they want to the other. Well, actually, they can pack. speak too. They do. No, they well, do make meaningful well, they noise. Do use they don't. Well, that's not my understanding. Well, I mean, we're we're probably splitting hairs. I I know I've studied a lot about wolves, so we're just splitting hairs. I know they, you know, they definitely have a very high level of communication, right? Yeah, and sound is part of it. You know, we don't really understand. We domesticated them. That's why we were domesticated in the first place because they were so helpful to humans. Yeah. Around the campfire, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. But what I, what I mean is when a wolf is sitting at the den and the other wolves have gone on a hunt, you know, there's always several adults yeah. left at the den site to look yeah. after the puppies. Yeah. Um, they are aware that the other animals still exist, even though they can't oh, see yeah. them. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. I'm just wondering about all the language thing and, like, you know, how how this whole consciousness thing works. Yeah. Really. Yeah, I would say that they do have language. It's not. I would say that in fact most mammals and maybe most living things have language in a sort of rudimentary sense, but that humans have a sort of meta linguistic. I mean, our abilities in language are really transcendent compared to theirs. But clearly, dogs. I mean, I'm just talking about domestic dogs have a vocabulary. They understand that certain sounds means you know they've got very strong relationships between various occurrences and various other ones. They know the sound of uh, of their master's car when it pulls into the driveway. They know the sound of the mailman. Um, you know, and they obviously have triggers in their brains that, that identify those things, you know. So, so yes. they, yeah. they have certain rudimentary linguistic ability, but again, what we can do is think about, we can think about thinking. And they can only yeah. think about the world. And I think that's the difference. They can think about their surroundings in some ways. You know, yes, yes. And they, ha- they have stable relationship uh, concepts somehow that, that have, you know, meanings that work for them and they can communicate those things. But mm-hmm. they can't talk about talking about it, <laughs> you know. Exactly. And the whole thing, that, you know, you're using the term linguistics um, or language that's also, I mean, that's another couple of volumes because we are using parts of our body, you know, our vocal cords, you know, and our tongue yeah. and other parts of our anatomy oh, to a, make these particular sounds. Yeah, and other language, animals don't is, have those. language is a muscular activity, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one of the first, one of the major realizations when I got is that actually that's why, again, uh, American Sign Language is, is so interesting because... Uh, they're, they're simply using a different set of muscles, a far more articulate set of muscles, actually, than than what speakers use. Yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, that's uh, you know, when they dream, their hands are going crazy. <laughs> you know. It, it, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know. Oh that. yeah. Well, sure. They think with their hand. They think with a different set of muscles. So we dreaming. we subvocalize. You know, we we yeah. when we're thinking to ourselves, we're busy using the same muscles that we use to speak out loud, but we don't actually do it out loud, but we sub-vocalize. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what it means to think in language, is to, is to yeah. exercise yeah. these muscles and these certain patterns of, of behavior. It's a muscular activity. And for deaf people, it's just simply a different set of muscles that have more potential, actually. Yeah. Well, you're you're absolutely right because I it's just I had never been thinking about this subject at all until I got on here tonight. Yeah. You know, and yeah. about, the, about I brought up about the deaf, uh, you know, deaf people using. But yes, I've seen my own dogs dreaming, and they will yeah. their paws. They, they've actually barked while they're dreaming and used their paws yeah. as though they're you know digging or something. <laughs> yeah, of course, I know. It's, yeah. always, you know, it's I know. hilarious. You know. Yeah. And you've all yeah. wondered what yeah. are they thinking? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> wow. You've opened up a can of worms here. Yeah, that's the idea. That's what we're here to do. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> let's, let, somebody, let somebody else have a say now. I'll be well, happy nobody, to... Well, this is listen. nobody... There's only one other person dialed in, and that's Jason, and he hasn't asked for the microphone. He's quite interested in what you have to say, or what we have to say. So if you Jason, have is that true? Well, listen, listen, um, trademark. If you're through, that's okay. If you actually are, would just soon no. not talk anymore. You can. T- I won't be offended if you say you're through. I'll no. mute your I'll, mic. I'll go back to what I'm doing. You know, I just don't want get, to mono- I just don't want to monopolize. That was all I was worried but about. But it's not up to you to decide that. It's up to me to decide that. I. It's my room. I'm the Bob in this room, and I decide <laughs> things. I mean, and of course, unless you're through talking. You know, if I get bored with you, I'll I'll turn off your mic. Don't worry. Don't turn off my mic if you're bored. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. If you get too boring, I'll just turn off your mic. Okay, wait a minute. I'll to have to go to I'll have to go to the therapy room right afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's quite interesting what we've been talking about, you know, because I had certainly not thought of deaf people, um, you know, using their hands when they were dreaming. It should have occurred to me, but it just wasn't something I had well, thought yeah. about. You know, yeah. I understand. Yeah, well, I hadn't thought about it until I thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, well, somebody else mentioned it to me. You know, so yeah. external. Yeah, it's, it's obvious. Yeah. When, it's obvious when you see it. I mean, when you think about it for a moment, when you realize that thinking is a muscular activity, and the fact that speaking people grow up from the moment they're born and are trained to use a particular set of muscles to communicate. You know, their their diaphragm, their lips, their jaw, uh, the tongue, and, and all of that, that, that apparatus of the language machine. But the language machine could just as easily use an entirely different set of muscles towards the same end. And that's just what American Sign Language does. Yeah, that's true enough. Wow. How did you become interested in all of this in the first place? Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> Well, I mean, you, gendo. You're saying gendo, right? A way of no, language. No, it's so. a hard G. Uh, gendo. Oh, gendo. I'm sorry. Yeah. Gendo. That's all right. Yeah. No, that's all right. Uh, you'd have no way of knowing unless I told you. <laughs> well, my one. Or, or my unless one you're Japanese. <laughs> then you'd know. <laughs> I'm not Japanese. So how did you become interested in gendo? Well, um... When I was 21, I'm 62 now. Okay. When I was 21, all I can say is I woke up. Um, I wasn't looking for it. Uh, at 21, I was really only interested in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, actually, no, I wasn't into drugs yet. 
So as I was interested in sex, rock and roll, TV, and cars. Sports. <laughs> no, I didn't really care much about sports. No, okay. cars, you had the cars. You cars, had the cars and TV and girls. That was pretty much it. And um, and it's a it's a long story, but in any case, I ended up uh, one evening sitting on the floor, acutely aware of the fact that I didn't have a clue who I was or what the hell I was doing with my life. <laughs> you know, that I didn't know who I was, what I was doing here, what I should do here, what I could do here, why do anything at all, what is going on, why, you know, what is this planet, all of that stuff. Uh, it just became really clear to me that I didn't have, a, that I, all my whole life had just been sort of living in a trance. I'd been hypnotized by my culture and my language into accepting a certain explanation for it all. And I'd never really questioned any of it. And at that point, you did. And at that point, the whole thing collapsed. And I never really recovered from that. I not, I didn't get over it. I didn't wake up the next morning and go back to life as usual. I was, I was actually, you know, totally sidetracked. My whole life was sidetracked as a result of that. Mm-hmm. So to use Dr. Phil McGraw's figure uh, of speech, that was a defining moment in your life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was the first... I mean, there were other things. I mean, I can see traces of this that go back into my infancy, even. But uh, I mean, that's this is this was the the first big uh, awakening of my life. You know, there have been others since then, but that was the first one, and, and you know, pretty memorable. Yeah, I imagine it would be. And anyway, and the guy that woke me up was heavily into Zen Buddhism. So therefore, uh, that became my path for a number of years. And um, and then I stumbled into a guy named Alfred Korzybski, who was a linguist, who wrote a book called Science and Sanity. And, um, and that was when I got interested in linguistics and I realized that it was, it was the, the kernel issue of everything I'd been seeking in the previous years of so-called spiritual searching, I realized that all of that activity, in fact, was activity in the domain of language. I was reading books, going to lectures, listening to people talk, talking myself, writing myself. It was all about language. That none of that stuff could have been done in the absence of language. Language was the medium in which all these activities occurred. And Korzybski uh, really shed some light on that for me and that got me excited about studying linguistics. And, um, and then I began to see the sort of progress that I hadn't seen in the 10 years of meditation and talk about souls and awakening, <laughs> you know. <laughs> of course, those are just other, you know, ways of, that people developed of trying to describe something that's pretty yeah. hard to describe. You know? Well, well, the problem is that's exactly the issue, and that's why we're here now, is that the ways of talking about these things that we have inherited with our cultures are really pretty stupid, basically. Most religious uh, theories, most psychological theories, almost everything we've inherited in our when we had English programmed into us, um, when you look at it through the eyes of Gendo anyway is just you can see it's just all a bunch of nonsense for the most part 
and the, and the things that we drive ourselves crazy over and the sorts of turmoil that we put ourselves through is really just a, a symptom of our linguistic pathology. And that once you clean up the language, uh, most of the sort of philosophical conundrums aren't solved. They, they cease to exist. They're simply not even a problem to be solved anymore. Well, that is a pretty, that's a pretty big claim to make. You, yeah, it is. You're right. Pretty big claim. It's not really. Actually, it's pretty, it seems to me that when you see it, it's just the most obvious thing in the world. I know it's a big claim. You know, I understand that it sounds outrageous, but actually, once once the idea sort of sinks in, it's just sort of silly, obvious. You know, mm-hmm. and if you imagine a generation of children who brought were brought up to understand this from the beginning, would would simply be amazed at those pathetic adults that have these crazy things they say <laughs> and they seem to be so upset and and intense about all these things and it's just nonsense literally there's a famous uh, sentence from noam chomsky that colorless green ideas sleep furiously or i could even put that as a question do colorless green ideas sleep furiously and i i bet you're not going to waste any time worrying about the answer to that tonight when you go to sleep you know because it's clearly a stupid question do colorless green ideas sleep furiously but you have well, to admit not, it, it, it it's sounds not stupid like, i just it's not stupid it's incoherent <laughs> well yeah it's, it's it's literally meaningless actually is what it is it's just a sequence of phonemes that that uh, because of the arrangement of parts of speech have the appearance of a question. It sounds like a question. Do colorless green ideas sleep furiously? But actually, just because it has the grammatical structure of a question uh, doesn't mean that it's anything worth wasting your time on. And and in that case, it's obviously stupid. You know, you're not going to waste any time on it. But we have other questions like, what is the true meaning of life? And what I'm saying is, formulated is that particular sentence that has no more meaning than do colorless green ideas sleep furiously. But it has a lot of emotional um, underpinnings that we're used to saying certain words and putting them together in certain orders, and we've been trained to respond to these structures in particular ways on an emotional level. But when you start looking at it from the information level, you realize that in fact it's no more meaningful than do colorless green ideas sleep furiously. Mm-hmm. How do you formulate? How do you formulate these philosophical questions in ways that are meaningful? Mm. And and what I found was I couldn't. <laughs> I'm just not clever enough to do it. And, and I tuned you know. in here thinking I was going to learn Gando, you know. <laughs> Well, I'm pulling your tail a little bit. Okay. Um, I did think you were going to explain um, Gando, you know, to the list to everyone that was well, I'm not, I'm not in explaining your... Gando. I'm doing Gando. You're doing it now. Okay, you're doing it now. That's interesting. Hmm. Gendo, you can think of Gendo as like a martial art, like Judo or Aikido or Kendo or Bushido. It's a ja- you know, Japanese were. Uh, Judo is, I, I think, uh, what, the gentle way, and 
uh, kendo with a K is the way of the sword, and bushido is the way of the warrior, and aikido is the way of energy, and gendo is a way of language. And it's not about defending yourself from somebody physically beating you up. It's defending yourself in, the, in a linguistic environment, understanding the, the pitfalls and the ambiguities and the unconscious assumptions that are embedded in our language and avoiding them and, and seeing how other people try to manipulate us in the way they use language and being aware of that and, and how to defend yourself against, against it. Yeah, that's a, that is a very large arena, no doubt about it. Well, yeah, yeah. I haven't been attacked physically since I was in grammar school, you know. But we're <laughs> under attack by the government, by politicians, by advertisers, by children, parents, neighbors, bosses, uh, you know, co-workers. Everybody's, you know, in a sense, uh, trying to sell us something. <laughs> you know, whatever it yeah. is, you know, yeah. and uh, and we're doing the same thing. And and language is the medium uh, this stuff uh, takes place in. And understanding the dynamics of language uh, really makes a big difference, <laughs> or it can anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly does to advertisers. You bet. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I see all the time now is just it's funny. Uh, especially just in the spam that I get, you know, uh, it ha- it's in the uh, title all the time. Get the whatever it is that you deserve, <laughs> you know. Yes, <laughs> You know, I mean, it's a fascinating meme. I mean, they've been running this for years now. Is you know, you deserve this. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you know, no. you know McDonald's. Yeah, you deserve you know, a break today. That's right. You deserve it. You've worked hard for it. You deserve, you know, a better mm-hmm. sex life. You deserve more money. You deserve a degree. <laughs> you know, a PhD. You have a, you have a problem with that? You have a problem with that? <laughs> <laughs> it's just an interesting one. It is how you know, and and you can if if people are unreflective in language, you know, I mean, it it plays right into people's victim self definition, you know, into thinking that they actually deserve something. Well, well, let me tell you, all those people at uh, Merrill Lynch and Lehman Brothers and AIG, they all thought that they deserved something. Yeah, and, and now they're, they're getting and it. And they're getting it from all and the people that lost right. their houses. Yeah, that's all right. The, all the, all the well, men and women that lost their houses are now paying the money to bail AIG out. Well, you know and I don't even live in the States, you know? Yeah, mm. well, you know what's interesting about this is you look at the size of the financial services market in, ter- in terms of the gross national product and realize how huge it is globally. And then mm-hmm. when you realize that none of the people involved in that produce anything of any value to anybody. I mean, they don't gambling. make, they, they don't make, they no, don't make a, they don't, well, but, but I mean, the, the difference that I'm getting at is, is the difference between actual productive behavior and, and this sort of meta behavior that all this money is being made off of. They don't make they don't create food or they don't create a chair you can sit on or a car you can drive or teach you something that can be of value. They uh you know, it's just this completely abstract domain and oh, our no, entire no, no. economic system. No, no, I disagree, I disagree. Uh-huh. They are selling us they are selling they are um, selling us down down because of our fear. They will insure us 
against the loss of fill in the no, blank, right? Yeah I, yeah, I understand that, but I'm just saying there's a difference between that and making something oh, that we course. need. I need a house. I need food. I need clothes. I need a computer. I need a car right now. Yeah. I, I need a Starbucks to sit in and talk to people. Um, you know, we need that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, but well, we don't need uh, insurance. We don't need there's lots of things. Again, again, <laughs> these people are involved. You know, again, you know, like I said, a form of gambling. It, it's uh, it, well, like all the all the people who are based in you know, like uh, record keeping. You know, none of that. You know, or legal stru- structures. All the people involved. None of those actually are productive behaviors. You know. It's, no, that's uh, right. They're just enforcement yeah. measures. Yeah, there, there's a way. Well, there are measures, there are jobs and things that have developed historically, you know, from where we have come from in our ancient past that that we still have, you know, created a civilization that we need those kinds of people. But in a reasonable world, uh, there'd be no point for people to do all that kind of stuff. All we really need is the productive behavior. You know, if there were no thieves, we wouldn't need... Um, we wouldn't need to, you know, to have a whole bunch of people uh, working uh, to, you know, to um, get in the way to hamper the thieves, you know. True, and that's interesting that you brought that up as a, as a, you know, sorry, I'm losing some of my uh, words here, word placement, thieves. Yeah. There are actually thieves even in the animal kingdom, Right. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know? ch- chimps are amazingly—they've uh, <laughs> caught chimps actually lying. I mean, what literally amounts to a lie? A chimp—they have a certain call for food when yes, they, you know, yes. when they're foraging, and they have found mm-hmm. chimps that find some food, and then instead, instead of right then making the food call, they go a hundred yards away somewhere, make the food call, and then run back to the place where the food really <laughs> is and eat it themselves and all the other exactly. people. Exactly, you know, yeah. You know, yeah. So that's... Uh, that's and the, bird, the birds, the birds who use other birds' nests, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a it's fascinatingly complex world. Yeah, amazing. It is. So, I mean, the thing is, it, 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 it's even a question of why people do these things because if the animal kingdom are doing it, you know, we're supposed to be higher evolved yet. In what well, we aren't yet, but we're becoming. That's the whole point, and that's another reason I'm here is that I really am expect, expecting a kind of outbreak of enlightenment on the planet over the next 30 <laughs> to 50 years. I don't think there's any hope for human beings. I, like I think it. humans as they are right now are not really worthy of a of a the kind of planet we could have. Well, just the men. Well, they're the biggest <laughs> problem. No, you're right. Uh, 98% of men we could just dump right in the ocean uh, and and I probably 85% resist. of the women. <laughs> well, you're probably right. I just couldn't resist. I have to throw it out. No, I'm not kidding. I think you're absolutely right. But I think it's most people, actually. I mean, yes. not that they're bad people or anything. It's just that... Uh, they're the old species, and they're totally uh, selfish and literally living in a kind of hypnotic trance, and they're probably not going to wake up. You know, well, but that's okay; they'll be, be gone soon enough. It'll be interesting, <laughs> you know, if we're still around to, to see any of this actually transpire. Oh, I think. Uh, how old? Are you? Oh, you don't want to talk about that, thing. I'm. Well, I told you how old I am. Sixty-two. I think we're.
I've lost your hair and stone. You've disappeared. Am I back? Can anybody hear me? Hmm. Where have you gone? Nobody can hear me? Hello? Hmm. Okay, okay, no, David hears me. Okay. Okay, so it must be... Ah, obviously she was crashing. That was what it was. Trademark just crashed. I got it. Okay. Okay, well, so, um, good. Well, she'll be back or she won't. In the meantime, I guess, uh, if anybody wants to talk, they can ask for the mic. We only got uh, 12 more minutes before this is over. But, of course, we don't have to worry about that here on Talk Shoe. We can uh, go on as long as we want. I really do like it here. This is a great place, so much better than Skypecast in many ways. Okay, well, I'm going to take the headset off. I'm here. I'll be looking for uh, requests to uh, speak if I don't miss them. All right.